In the weeks since the shooting at a Poway synagogue, leaders have tried to grapple with the task of combating hate. For two former skinheads, leaving the mindset of hate was a choice they were able to make. Tim Zoll and T.M. Garrett are speaking to others about how they have learned to stop hating other people. Men like this serve as a sign of hope and a sign that there is life after hate. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Christina Davis, you cover a number of things for the Union-Tribune, and over the weekend you had a story about individuals that used to be part of hate groups and chose to leave. So we chose to look into this following the shooting in Poway, and you really learned a lot about the psychology of hate. So when you explain, what was the most surprising thing about learning about people who decide to leave this lifestyle? Well, one of the big takeaways um, that I had was I think there is this tendency to think of people who are that deep into hate movement um, and their thinking is so overcome by these ideas that there's no hope for them to change, that they're going to probably die thinking all of these same things and perhaps continue to get deeper and deeper. And one of the things that I I heard over and over again was that's that's not true. And to think that way can be very dangerous, too, because there might be a lot of people out there who who want to to change um, and to get out of it. Um, But if we're just rejecting them um, whole cloth and saying, you know, no, uh, we're not going to let you back into our society and there's no hope for you. um, You know, I think that could mean a lot of lost people. So one of the interesting things that I really talked about was um, how does that process happen? Mm-hmm. And I think once we can maybe accept that, okay, people can change. Um, and I, I looked at two former skinheads as that's exactly their stories. They did change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people think that maybe they wake up one day and say, oh, uh, what I was doing was so wrong. How could I have been thinking these terrible thoughts? I need to get out of this. I think actually why most people leave is because of just different, more mundane personal reasons. There's either a lot of infighting in the group, um, maybe they become a parent, and you know, they, are, they are starting to think of maybe some larger life questions, and do they want their child raised in this environment? Um, it's more disillusionment of maybe how the movement is going, but they're still racist and in, in, in their heads. Their, mm-hmm. their thought process and hasn't really changed, and their opinions haven't really changed, but they do feel this need to get away from the group. So first, can you kind of explain how these hate groups function? I think people are used to the idea of skinheads, but not really like the, the kind of culture that it creates. Right. And, and part of the problem I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say now, too, is you, the article really talked about two, two men, two former skinheads. Mm-hmm. And that was a movement that was really uh, much bigger in the, the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And we don't see that as much today. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a different. The movement has definitely morphed. I would say the skinhead movements from back then and even the ones that stop it today, I would equate them more as, as a gang. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's uh, the the Hammerskin Nation. They're the biggest one um, countrywide. And we have the Western Hammerskins here in California. Um, it's It really is like a gang. I mean, you've got the tattoos. You've got all the insignias. You've got kind of a way that you should dress and act. And it's very much groupthink. You're 
kind of in or you're out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the new white nationalist movement isn't as much like that. It's just not as organized. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is very hard once you're in that group environment and it starts to be like this group think, right? Um, it's very hard to leave. Yeah, it almost seems so much like cult-like almost. Yeah, that that um, word, that term was was tossed around in my interviews a lot. And when you think of a cult, you think of a cult as completely directing every aspect of your life. Um, and some of this, you know, with the thinking, with the, you know, you have to do this, you have to dress this way, you have to hang out with these people, uh, this is what you have to read. Um, it, it definitely could could go that far. Mm-hmm. And the, the two men that you... Uh spoke to in this story they described when they had interactions with uh individuals that they hate essentially and that caused them to change their thinking so when you were interviewing these people about their stories what was the reaction when they explained what it was like to finally feel empathy for someone that they hated or perhaps to some degree may still hate Right. So, so like I was saying earlier, a lot of times people leave these groups just kind of disillusioned or one um, researcher who I talked to said it's almost like they just get burned out from the whole thing, right? Um, but they were still racist. So that's the same exact thing with these two former skinheads. They left. Um, they knew they had to get away, but they, you know, they still hated the same people and felt the same things. Um, and, but I think when you get some time and distance from the movement and from that group, you know, you you allow yourself to start to kind of have your own thoughts again and to see the kind of live out of the bubble, right? Mm-hmm. So both of these guys, um, they'd had a little time and distance from the group to start kind of changing their opinions. And then, yeah, uh, both of their turning moments had to do with um, really being out of their comfort zone and kind of being at the mercy, in a way, of groups that they were sp- thought they were supposed to hate, right? Mm-hmm. And for for one guy, it was um, a Turkish Muslim man who really took compassion on his family when they needed it the most. Um, and he started to realize that, whoa, I, I was the one with the mask on, and these guys have no ill will towards me. And, and for one of the other guys, it was this um, road trip he had to take through the Deep South and he was, he was forced to do it for work. Mm-hmm. And he said he had all of these preconceived notions about um, what these communities would be like. He said in Houston, you know, he, he thought a bunch of, uh, you know, unauthorized immigrants running all over the place. And he had some um, kind of ugly preconceived notions about African-Americans in, in those other Gulf states. And he said he was so wrong, he learned, that the world, the bubble that he was living in was not real. He was experiencing the real world now, and he said he was treated with compassion and dignity and respect by all these different people of different ethnic backgrounds, and it started to really open his eyes like, okay, wait a minute, you know, this this world that I've been living in that I thought was real, it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the research of kind of the psychology of hate, what is there to learn about people who are on the extreme who take action on their hate? Versus people who are racist but don't do anything about it besides maybe say something mean occasionally. So that's the million-dollar question, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what people, are, I think, are really trying to answer right now because you have people who radicalize very quickly, sometimes within a few months, 
um, a year, year and a half. Um, and some people take a lot longer to radicalize. And I think that question is, is how do you know when that hate speech um, and, and just going to the meetings and, and espousing hate is going to turn into the violent action? I don't think anyone can answer that question right now. And I have I posed it to a lot of the people who, who research this and spend a lot of time on this. Um, and there's a new generation coming up and uh, it's not as uh, in your face and obvious sometimes. It's not the skinheads and the swastika tattoos. Um, it's cloaked in a lot more um, like normalcy and patriotism, right? And so what takes that person to going and, and like shooting up a synagogue, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or a, a mosque. Um, they're saying that law enforcement needs to spend a lot more time on these groups, understanding who the players are, what's being said, um, what kind of speech might seem like indicators of, of violence coming soon. Um, but no one, no one knows. Mm-hmm. And certainly it's it's certainly difficult to see what's going on online and knowing when's the point when action can be taken to prevent a tragedy. Correct. And and speaking to the FBI and law enforcement, um, they, they feel like their hands are tied somewhat um, because a lot of what is online and what people are talking about is all free speech. And it's it's protected by the First Amendment. Uh, we're talking about U.S. citizens here. We're not talking about um, foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're saying that they can't just go on and, and monitor people, um, without probable cause. Uh, we've got a lot of private groups who are doing that and who are maybe reporting things, escalation to law enforcement who can then get involved. Um, but the threat has to be very specific and, and imminent. Yes. I think for law enforcement to like, Go knock on your door. Mm-hmm. As our reporting continues, trying to learn more about the shooting in Poway and the shooter itself, what are some larger questions when it comes to the nature of hate that you're hoping to get answers from from sources and people you speak to? I think one of the important things that um, we have to look at is how are we as a society going to address this? Because everyone I've talked to said um, this this is not just a problem that law enforcement can solve um, or that nonprofits can solve, but as a society, we have to figure out how are we going to fight this rhetoric and extremism? Um, do laws need to change? I, I'm not sure. Um, does law enforcement's response need to change? Do we need to put more funding, more education toward this? Um, and, you know, a lot of people have pointed to who's in power and who has the bully pulpit on this um, as voters um, how are we going to respond to hate and extremism we've been putting a lot of resources and attention on um, terrorism coming from overseas right but not necessarily from our own U.S. soil and so I think that's the that is the large question that that we all have to really consider and look at And that's what makes this story relevant, even to people who don't know anything about what happened in Poway. Correct. All right. Christina Davis, thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, a 22-year-old Fullerton woman faces charges of posting Nazi propaganda in Newport Beach and Fullerton. 
Grace Elizabeth Zeismer was charged with one count of vandalism and two counts of posting graffiti, all misdemeanors. Prosecutors determined there wasn't enough evidence to charge her with a hate crime. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. Check out some of our other podcasts, too. The Conversation features topical interviews with newsmakers, and Hot Lava is our podcast about all things Padres. Go to sandiegoyumintribune.com slash podcasts for more. Until next time.